Hey, everybody. Just before this episode starts, I just want to let you know that we talk about some sensitive things. We talk about some heavy things. Uh, it's not like a typical episode that we usually have. So just letting you guys know about that. Um, uh, also, I felt it a little inappropriate to take a ad break during this episode just because we talk about some heavy stuff and I just didn't want to break the feng shui of it. I just wanted it to go and be natural and thorough. Um, uh, so we're going to put the ad at the beginning of the episode right after this announcement and then you'll have the entire episode with uncut because I really enjoyed recording this episode. Um, uh, another new thing, everybody, is that we have a Patreon. And with our first tier, you get a shout out thank you at the beginning of every episode. So thank you, Kevin Lagrange, our first and only patron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now to the episode. This episode is sponsored by Brotherhood MFG. Brotherhood MFG is a clothing brand centered around car culture with a fresh style. And with Christmas just around the corner, what better time to purchase that special someone some cool car-inspired clothing? Brotherhood MFG has even given us a special discount code to give to you guys. So if you go to teespring.com slash stores slash Brotherhood MFG and use discount code PASTTIME in all caps, you guys will get 13% off the entire store. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Pastime Thinker Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Piquette, and today my guest is Keaton. How are you, man? I'm doing well. That's nice. So you also run a podcast as well, right? I do. That is correct. It's called You Don't Fight Alone. You Don't Fight Alone. What's that podcast about? It is about sharing the stories of those of us successfully living with mental illness and how we got there. How you got there. And that, what, was the, what was the inspiration for that? The inspiration for that is around my story. Um, a decade ago, I was in the ICU by my own hand, so an intensive care unit. Okay. And that's when I found out that my family had a history of mental illness. Oh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that point forward, it's been on my brain of how to break down that stigma, break down those barriers. Yeah. Um, The most effective way I've found to do that is sharing stories, sharing experiences. Mm -hmm. The highs and the lows, I assume. Yep. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's that's in, I guess... Throughout that that journey, you yourself have also gotten quite a bit of an education on it, I would assume. I definitely have. Um, I'm not a professional by any means. So okay. There's always a disclaimer on my uh, on my show and when I go places. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a peer experience, and I did seven and a half years of weekly counseling um, and study on my own, mm-hmm. learned quite a bit about uh, mental health and my diagnoses as well. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that that's interesting like uh i personally as far as i know at least don't really have a tendency or uh not a tendency but i don't think i have any mental illnesses but i'm definitely surrounded by people like i definitely have relationships with people who do oh, yeah. so like all my experience with it is just through peer review i guess um uh, <laughs> i've peer experience yeah yeah like i've lost some friends both literally and metaphorically to substance abuse and mental illness and um uh that that's basically my only experience with that side of things um uh how do you find people for your podcast is that like a volunteer basis or do you go out and network um so it's been networking and learning so season one um, was just people I knew. <laughs> yeah, that's where you got to start, right? Yeah. Yep. 
that's where you start. People you know, talk to them, ask them. Um, and with season two, I did networking, um, posted on some local boards here saying, hey, I'm looking for guests. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I found most people. A uh, few through networking and events and a few through posting on boards. Um, season three, which we're working on scheduling guests and finding people are reaching out to me to ask to be a guest. That's exciting. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> people are hearing about this. Yeah. Um, so I've got four people that way. And our season's... Um, at some point, we hope to expand. Right now, but right now, a season is 10 episodes for us, is what we can get and do and be consistent with. Yeah. So. I'm a... Yeah, do you find yourself... Uh getting numb to it at all like do you find yourself getting less empathetic as it goes do you find yourself getting more empathetic as it goes um uh just based off like hearing what i would assume to be similar stories in some cases (laughs) um i was kind of concerned that i might become numb to it um when i started the project out but now that i've interviewed 19 people and i was guest number 20 um i realized my empathy at least right now doesn't have bounds. (laughs) Um, so it's just, it's impactful every time. Um, like I've been learning how to not take the trauma on myself. Not being too empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so that's a growth area. Like, yes, empathize, cry with the person, um, or laugh with the person, be angry with the person, but don't, take secondary offense. Don't be like, well, that person's parent did this or that person's partner did this. Let them own that. (laughs) Yeah. Like don't try to insert yourself into the situation you're saying. Exactly. Be like, don't try to insert myself or don't try to just be like angry for that person. Yeah. Uh, I think a great example is you might have a fight with somebody not related to mental illness at all. Mm hmm. And you tell your friend about it, you make up with that person, and you guys are okay, but your friend is still Your friend angry. is still angry at that person. Yeah, I've yeah. definitely, at least in, like, high school and stuff, I've been in a lot of situations like that. Like, like I'm very guilty of that. Like, I'm very the type of person to, like, look at my friend and be like, you're just going to forget that they did that and, like, kind of stir the pot a little bit. I'm <laughs> definitely guilty of that. I've definitely done that. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's... I think that's the thing and the growth for me is not taking it on, just being like, okay, thank you for sharing and learning. Um, So with our podcast, um, we give a full transcript to the person. It's just an auto transcribed piece. Mm -hmm. Anything they don't want in, we'll take out. Um, And at any point during recording, we give them the option like we will just pot down all the mics so nothing's recording and just talk or do whatever needs to happen to get them into um, a comfortable to, to make sure people are comfortable and yeah. like the um yeah there was one guest and <laughs> they started crying and then I started crying and then my producer started crying <laughs> and we all just like potted down the mics and sat there for like 20 minutes crying and just kind of being present and because sometimes life's heavy right absolutely do you, do you find that getting difficult um uh 
like intentionally situating yourself in a situation where you're just putting yourself in a state of sadness or anger or, or do you find that like healing in a way? For me, I think I find it healing. Um, And also the way we structure the show is around success. So success is defined by the guest. Yeah. Um, And because we structured around that, like we do go through the heavy pieces. Um, So what it was rock bottom, why was it rock bottom? Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes go into the past. Um, Sometimes not like I've had guests where it's actually just current trauma. There was no trauma growing up. Um, but putting myself there and we do hear about the trauma, but at the end we're talking about what would you say to somebody who's going through this? What would you say to somebody who wants to understand what it's like to go through this? Mm-hmm. There seems to be resolution. Um, that, that's always good to have is, re- is as long as they can talk about it, but knowing that they're, not still in that place and that they've somehow bettered themselves from that place. They're in a better headspace. Yes. Yeah. And that's um, like, we had a guest come on and she let us know when she was reaching out to us. She's like, I'm not going to come on and be the person who has it all together. And I was like, that's fine. Do you think you're living a successful life? And she's like, yes. I was like, okay, that's yeah. the definition success as <laughs> defined by the guest. Um, so getting to share Yes, we share in the trauma and we share the pain, um, but we also get to share the success, however and they define that. I've also noticed, too, that like talking about things helps people get over it. Like I, I have a friend who went through a trauma as a child, and they bring it up often, like not in a joking way, not in a sarcastic way. They, just, they bring it up often, and they talk about it, and they talk about it very comfortably, and they talk about it often. And like one time I, you know, I asked them, like, do you really think it's good to talk about it a lot like that? And like, they told me that if they don't talk about it for so long, it ends up getting to them. And by bringing it up often and bringing attention to it and talking about it a lot, they feel better and they feel more comfortable talking about it every time. And the more comfortable they are talking about it, the more comfortable they are thinking about it. Yep. The less power it has. Um, so one of my diagnoses is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I did a type of counseling that was very effective called EMDR, which is eye movement rapid desensitization. It's really out there. Um, when I was doing it, I was like, this isn't going to help. But they have a whole host of things that will stimulate the left side of your body and the right side of your body. And they find one that works for you that like you can actually tell it's happening. For me, it was two vibrating pads when I'd put my right hand, one in my left hand. Okay. And then going through that, this is an oversimplification that then talk to you about your trauma. Um, and what that does kind of like what your friend's doing, he, they're more comfortable about it. What the EMDR does is it teaches your brain. You're not there. <laughs> you're not re-experiencing the trauma. You're not re-experiencing whatever that is you're thinking about. Yeah. You're in a safe space. That was then, and you're here now. You're not there. Yes. You're not, um, you don't need to run or fight. Um, I've, (laughs) in the middle of conversations, sprinted down two blocks away. And then I was like, where, how did I, like having to reconstruct how I got there. And it was like, oh, okay. 
Um, that wasn't a right response because <laughs> I wasn't in any danger, but my body was like, oh, it's happening again. So run. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where like EMDR, let's talk about it. You have the pads. It helps retrain your brain to separate this in now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I might not be using the proper terms, but like kind of dissociate in a healthy way. Like dissociate. Them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Disconnect yeah. from it. Yeah. I knew I was saying the wrong word as, it, as soon as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> okay. No, that's, you know what? I don't mind people using the wrong words unless they're doing it to be hurtful. And yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a professional. You're not a professional. We're not going to use the right words. Even professionals occasionally mess it up. Um, but yeah, that's like, yeah, being able to disconnect the two. Yeah. Um, and going through the EMDR experience made me realize how much, yeah, the moment something triggered that memory, my body responded as if it was happening again. <laughs> mm-hmm. So well, would, it's fight or flight, right? Yeah. And my body was generally flight um but i also did tackle a guy that went well um <laughs> it, it actually did like he was like okay keaton you done because uh, he is a military police officer um so there's a level of understanding level of understanding and i won like the first quarter second to that fight um <laughs> and i would have <laughs> lost if he kept going <laughs> he put me in a lockout and just kind of held me there as like okay what happened yeah why'd you do that (laughs) i've definitely been in situations like that like i like i have a sibling who has like some anger management issues and i had a lot of size over him even though i was only a year older than him but like i was put in a lot of situations where you know he would enter a mind state and i had to hold him for a little bit until he calmed down yeah like like I, i get it like doing that for somebody like just let them get it out of their system but make sure they're safe doing it well that was exactly it like he took care of me like he could have been like oh this guy tackled me i'm gonna win like i'm gonna (laughs) beat him up and he would have won um i would have had no hope but (laughs) yeah it's it's nice to see like people respond in a healthy manner because he yeah. was like, okay, what's going on? Like, yeah, to ask questions is... first and react yeah. second. Because <laughs> he's like, this is so out of your character. And I'd known him for a couple years and told him what was going on. He's like, okay, well, we can avoid that. Um, yeah, because yeah, there was an event that triggered it. And it's like, we'll, we'll not do that. I'm like, cool. I didn't even think it would. <laughs> I would have never been like, oh, yeah, that's a triggering event. But it was, you know, that must be a scary thing, too, about like being a person living with a mental illness. Like you must feel like you're just walking in a minefield at all times. It sometimes can definitely feel like that, um, especially when I was first diagnosed and trying to figure things out. Um, it felt like I just had no control of my brain. Um, I was always concerned like something might set it off and then i just can't logically deal with myself um i think now that like i've gone through the counseling i've gone through and the therapy and classes um i feel like a whole lot less like i'm walking in a minefield and there's still occasionally minds but i actually get to see the warning signs yeah um like oh minefield ahead oh okay 
I can prepare myself, and how do I do that? Um, and having those skills that I have through the classes in therapy and counseling, where, yeah, definitely the first couple years, um, I was like, uh, what is this? What is bipolar? What is personality disorder? What's post-traumatic stress? What oh, happens? Especially, too, like, I remember being a kid, like, <laughs> 10 years ago, like, people threw that term around, like, like candy, like, someone's acting a little peculiar, like, oh, they're, they're, they're bipolar. Like people knew nothing about that term and they, yeah. they toss it around a lot. It still gets thrown around. Like I was at a party recently. Um, and the person was just like, yeah, I had a really bipolar week. And so like, I reached out to him. I was like, Oh, sorry to hear that. How you doing? They're like, no, it was just like, I was up and down. I was like, Oh, so you're not diagnosed. And people just, I don't know people don't understand what it actually means. I was about to say, how do you feel about people who self-diagnose? I think it is harmful and not useful. Yeah. Um, there's like, 265 diagnoses in the DSM and there's variations of those. And DSM is diagnostic and statistics manual. I'm familiar with the DSM. Fair. Um, but when you self-diagnose, then you self-treat and you might not be using the right treatment. Um, and I most totally of, get that, yeah. Yeah, most of the people I know who self-diagnose use it for attention. I'm not saying everyone does, um, but I think there's a lot larger benefit in hey, I think something's wrong. I'm going to go see someone. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's... I definitely know people like that. Like when, when I was in college, I'm a, I have, I, I have like, I have sleep deprivation. Like I, I'm, I'm an insomniac personally. Okay. I'm a, and it took me, I think I went three full days and, and nights without sleep before I went to a doctor. <laughs> and like, that's when I, I kind of became a little in, like sensitive towards people who like call themselves insomniacs. Cause like I would, I would try to relate to them. I'd be like, oh, like, I'm an insomniac. Like, well, what, what, what medication do you take? Like, I take this. What do you take? And they don't, oh, nothing. I just I just smoke some weed before bed and that fixes it. Like, that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> or even if it is how it works, it's like, did you talk to a doctor about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, even me too. Like, I suspected that I had insomnia, like, since I was a teenager. And like after like seven, maybe even eight years of calling myself an insomniac before I actually went to a doctor and actually got medication for it that I take regularly. And like medication helps when you're being medicated properly. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I um, meds have helped save my life. Also, they suck to find the right ones. But once you find the right ones, I think they can be highly beneficial. That yeah, um. <laughs> I've seen I've seen people go through several medications before finding the right one. I, I know people who still haven't found the right medication for them, and it, it shows. Well, and it shows, and it's hard, and it's um, like we were talking about. Like you're walking through the minefields, and now you're on different set of meds, and that actually is making things worse, and mm -hmm. it feels hopeless and endless. <laughs> um, I think I went through five years before I've been pretty stable on the meds I've been on where wow. they're not changing. 
Um, but yeah, I think I've changed meds, dosages or meds, combos, whatever, probably close to 40 times now. Oh my. Okay. I've been on um, two different medications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just a, like meds can be a great thing, but it's also such a daunting thing, right? It really is. Like I remember when I got my first prescription, even though I had gone three full days and nights without sleep, like I was, I was still nervous to take the medication, even though I knew I needed it. My doctor knew I needed it. And like, I still kind of put it off a couple hours when, from when I should have taken them. Oh yeah. Well, and I, I understand that trepidation. I actually just today got a sleep aid filled. Um, cause being bipolar, yes, things are fairly well regulated, but occasionally, um, I'm more up than usual, meaning my sleep is a whole lot less than I need. Yeah. <laughs> like I'll sleep for two, maybe three hours and then my body's like, oh, we're good. Yeah. And it, it's not even that you are good. It's that your body just thinks it is. Oh, like, yeah. No, I, definitely not good. But body's like, we're good. Yeah. Can do that for about two weeks. And then the body catches up to the reality of where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's like when I went to my first doctor, like when I went to the doctor for the first time, when I knew I had a problem, like I was in a bad place. Like, like I, I do not have, well, I've never been diagnosed with depression or anything like that, but I had like sleep deprived related depression. depression. And like, I was going through like massive, like canyons and valleys of like, I would be, I'd have, I'd be super immature for like two hours. I'd be a little shit. And then I'd go through like another two hours of just being a depressed wreck. And yeah. it, it took that to like make me want to go talk to a doctor because like I was I was getting on my roommate's side bad sides very fast. I was getting on my friends' bad sides very fast. I was getting on my coworkers' bad side very fast. And then eventually I was like, okay, I gotta go see a doctor. <laughs> Something needs to change. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, and it's like with that sleep aid, I've taken it before, but I and every time I'm just like, I do I need it? Do I need it? And it's like, no, this is actually what I need. I know it helps. Yeah. I know it does its job. And I, I've definitely seen yeah. people like that too, who th they, they have a medication and then the medication makes them better. And they're like, Oh, I'm better. I don't need the medication anymore. Well, that's, I, the temptation for me, my meds have some pretty big side effects. So I'm like, Oh, I'm stable. I can stop taking them. If discounting the fact that the reason I'm stable is that I'm on them. And so it's like, hold on. <laughs> Remember what? How did I get the opportunity yeah. to be stable? The medication. Get, exactly. Like, how yeah. was I able to go and actually participate in classes and counseling and group therapy? Medication. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's got side effects. And I wish I could do without the side effects. But on the flip side. It, it's positives versus negatives right like do oh, you yeah. do you prefer to be without the positives of the medication or do you prefer to not have the negatives of the medication oh and, and there's no contest i prefer having the good sides so yeah. i will take the negatives um but yeah it's always the like oh yep okay no meds actually did help remember <laughs> yeah can't, can't discount that um but yeah it's a Meds are an interesting one. Um, I've seen friends get stable, go off meds, and then they're not stable anymore. And I've, I've seen that cycle. happen to many people, myself <laughs> as well. And it's like, oh, but man, um, 
Yeah, and I think that in part is one of the stigmas that I hope you don't fight alone is fighting because there's so much stigma in taking a medication. Yeah. Um, I've, I can't count the hundreds of times that I've been told by some random person in my life that, well, if you just eat right. <laughs> yeah, if you just <laughs> exercise, if you just, if you just eat right, if you, if you just be more happier. Like, I got to go off of my allergy med because I didn't eat what I'm allergic to. You can go off your bipolar med. I'm like, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because those are in the same class. <laughs> but kind of in the same vein of that, um, uh, this might be a little wild segue, but do, do you sure. find that there might be a difference between like respecting a mental illness and enabling a mental illness? Um, I do believe there is. So like, yeah, I, there's definitely a difference. Um, for me, the way that works out is the difference between help and support. Okay. So, cause I actually had to go through this on my own cause I had people enabling me and I was asking them to enable me and didn't even realize it. Yeah. And what they were doing is they were providing help. So, um, when I'm in the throes of mania or depression from bipolar, my executive functioning goes down. So like executive functioning, doing the dishes, checking the mail, laundry, yeah, household chores, stuff like that. Um, and so I would ask somebody to help me and they would come over and do laundry or do the dishes or go through the mail with me. Um, but then I would end up in square one again. I'd be like, oh, I feel good. Cool. Three weeks later, dishes are still not done. Laundry's not done. Mail's back. Um, versus support, which I still do ask for now. I'll be like, hey, I'm struggling to like do dishes and laundry. Will you come over and hang out? I'll do the dishes and the laundry, but you're just here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so people will do that. Or had a friend help me organize my place. Um, but I was like, Hey, I'm struggling with this. How about I hire you? I'll do it. And you come help me do it. Um, versus just old, my old habits would have been, Hey, just come over and do this for me. Yeah. And I think that at least in my case, that's the enablement side is when I'm asking someone to do it for me versus support me in doing it. Okay. <laughs> I definitely, um, no, I definitely see the difference. Like, I, I understand the point you're making. Yeah. Because, like, I've definitely, like, within friend groups and stuff like that, like, there's definitely been some discourse in our friends group about a member of our group and the difference between enabling them and, like, actually helping them. And it, it was a sore topic for a little bit between my friend group. And none of us really knew the answer, and it kind of just ended up being a mute point. Things just kind of moved on. Like yeah. nothing really came of it either positively or negatively. Yep. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's the difference is at least for me, supporting someone in doing it versus doing it for them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Do you believe that like, most of the time the answer would be prescription medication or do you believe that there are many other ways that don't have to be prescription medication? So I think it is having done 19 interviews now, 
I think there's as many ways as there's many people on this planet. Okay. <laughs> what will help? Um, I have the last interview we did, which is one of the guests for season three. They don't take meds. They don't need meds. They're stable without them. They're also diagnosed bipolar. So it was fascinating to me. Um, but like they're still in contact with their doctor. They're still in contact, making sure that if something did come up, if mania came back and was wrecking his life, mm -hmm. then they could do something from a med perspective, potentially, or check in or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, like I've, um, for me, my personal answer, I will be on meds for the rest of my life, but that's because I don't sleep without them and I have hallucinations without them. I don't, going back to the earlier question, do I like the positives? Yes, I like sleep and I like yeah. not hearing things. Um, <laughs> they do some other stuff, but those are the major knockouts. Um, but then, yeah, talking to Blair earlier for season three, he's not on meds and that's managed. Um, so I think it is, there's seven point some billion people on this planet. I think there are 7.7 <laughs> billion <laughs> options, but going back to actually talking to professionals, talking to psychiatrists, talking to counselors. That's like the main common thread. It is, yeah. Get some professional help at least to start. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that difficult to... Because I know, like, a part of it is acceptance, right? Like, yeah. if if you never thought that you might need help, do you think therapy or seeing professionals would have any impactful changes on you? Well, I wouldn't have gone. It, so yeah. if, uh, I, um, if I somehow could have gotten there, I think it could have an impact. But if I don't believe I need help, You're not gonna I'm not going to seek it. help. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's the side of it is it there, like you said, the acceptance, you have to accept that you need help. The first step to fixing a problem is admitting there's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you find that difficult? And do you find sometimes maybe that sways back and forth? Um, for me, I think I had the inverse problem personally. I found that I wanted to attribute a lot of things like, oh, well, that's a problem. This is a problem. It's like, no, that's just something you need to deal with <laughs> mm -hmm. versus just versus. Yeah, no, that is mania or that is X, Y, Z. Um, and at this point in my journey, I'm just very forthcoming with my doctors. Well, that's why like, I got the sleep aid prescribed and that I picked yeah. up today. I'm definitely a believer in that. Like the one person <laughs> you should never lie to is your doctor. Like the doctor should be your doctor should be the one person that you should be willing to tell everything about everything about yourself to. Oh yeah. And I think finding the right doctor and finding the right counselors make that easy, but counselors and doctors for the vast majority of them are in it because they want to see people do better. They want to help people do better. They want to, provide solutions and yeah if you can be honest with them then things can get better if you keep stuff like if you hide stuff or don't talk about it 
maybe not going to get better. Yeah, well, they can't help you with a problem that they, they don't know exists. Oh, yeah. Uh, exactly. Like, they can't, they can't read your mind. <laughs> they can't tell you um, that things... Yeah, they can't... If I didn't tell my doctor that I wasn't sleeping very... Or that I was sleeping for three hours and waking up ready to go with my day, he wouldn't have known that's where I was at. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, opening up and talking to my doctors, I don't find hard. But I do know, like, a fair number of the guests that I've had on do find it hard. Um, for me, I guess it's always been, well, okay, I want to improve something, so that's why I'm here. Yeah. And I'm going to talk to the person about that. Do you find it more difficult to to reach out to your doctor first or say your, your close friends and family and stuff? Like who do you like in the in the beginning stages of realizing you have a problem? Like who would be more difficult to open up to? Um, I think the beginning stages for me, it was more difficult to open up to a doctor because finding one. Yeah. <laughs> like I one, I struggled to find one. And then once I found one. The first one wasn't great. Um, so I could like talk to my friends about it, but I was like, well, Dr. So-and-so doesn't seem to care. Um, yeah. So I think beginning stages, it can be a little more difficult to open up to a doctor, open up to a care person because yeah. you don't know them and they don't know you. Um, and then a note there, if you're not getting along with your doctor or your staff, look for another one. Yeah. They should they should care about you. They should listen to you. If they're not listening to what you're saying, they're not doing their job. Well, I definitely felt that way when I first went to a doctor for my sleeping medication because I think throughout the entire sit down, he he I think he only asked me two questions. Like he came in and he's like, "What's up?" And I told him, like, well, I haven't slept the last three days. I'm having auditory hallucinations. I'm going through, like, massive peaks of immaturity and depression. And he just went, do you want something addictive or non-addictive? I went, yeah. I went, uh, non-addictive, preferably. And he went, okay, here. And, <laughs> like, he gave me a prescription. And it, it did work, thank God. Still does work. But, like, that was the entire interaction. And I think if I was in a situation where, have to, where I would have to see that doctor more regularly, I probably would end up shopping around more for different doctors. Oh yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, thanks. That's what you care about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think I just kind of excuse it as like, Oh, he's just making sure like, I'm not just looking for drugs or so. I thought it was just him being careful, like trying to see if I'm bluffing or not. Yeah. But like, knows? yeah. <laughs> and definitely like when I had to get my prescription renewed and stuff like that, like he was just, he would just look at me and just sign and like, okay, bye. Like he never like asked me follow up questions. He he never asked me if it was working or not. Like he oh, just man. went, oh, prescription renewal. Okay, here. And then he sent me on my way. Yeah. And I had to do. I had to see. I had to, every three months. I yeah. I think it was every three months. I had to renew my prescription. And yeah, it was just like a renewal. Okay, sign the piece of paper and send me on my way. He. I don't think he asked me any follow up questions. The, like the entirety I was going to him. And then now I've, I've moved to a different city there. So I'm dealing with a different doctor. I just got the prescription moved over and like, they, they seem actually more engaged. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely have had that feeling. Um, yeah, because I said I'm close to 40, I think, changes in my meds over the last 10 years, where whether dosage or different med or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, had one med that was causing muscle twitching. Oh. Which wasn't great. But talking to the doctor about it, he's like, oh, okay, well, it's still like the best option for you. So maybe we should stay on it. And I was like, uh, no. Um, and like having to fight him a little bit. Like it did get changed, but it's like I shouldn't have to fight. Yeah. Like there's some side effects where, like we were talking about, yes, I'd rather have the side effects that I have than auditory hallucinations and sleeping. But muscle twitching is one where, no, I'd rather have the <laughs> lack of sleep um, than twitches. But yeah. And for others, they might not care. Like, they're like, yeah, oh, I don't care if I'm twitching a little bit. I'd rather just sleep, right? Yeah, and and that's also the thing. Like, and how severe is it? But though, like, he didn't, like you were saying, no follow-up questions. Like, he didn't ask how severe it was or anything. He's just like, oh, okay, well, it's still your best option. Yeah. I'm like, well, how do you know? And I don't think it is. <laughs> yeah, because, like, the, when I when I switch doctors, like she asked me a bunch of follow-up questions and like, that's how I found out I needed a stronger dosage. Cause like I, I was telling her how it was working and I was telling her, you know, it usually kicks in around this time if I take it at this time and this is how I feel the next morning. And she went like, Oh, that's not how that drug's supposed to work at all. You need a stronger dosage. And I went, Oh, okay. And yeah, since then it's been working even better. <laughs> yep. And that's the thing. Like, uh, checked out doctor versus a doctor who's like oh no i'm in this to help people yeah okay now that's that's interesting i'm a do you ever feel that there might be like a competition between yourself and people with the same diagnoses or do you feel it's more you're all in this together or like do you do you find yourself often getting jealous or feeling better if you're doing better than someone with the same diagnoses for me, no. Like I, um, I have with a number of people who I'm close with who have bipolar as well. Will joke with each other, <laughs> like, <laughs> "Oh man, I haven't slept in." Oh well, I haven't slept in. Yeah, past that, like a joking competition. Um, but it's a way to make light and kind of make fun of. Well, we're all experiencing similar. <laughs> to keep the dialogue going. Yeah similar things and this is kind of just funny um but i don't think like i've never experienced a competition to be like well i'm worse off than you or um you're worse off than me Mm -hmm. or even in the reverse like if you see someone with the same diagnoses as you and you see that you're handling it better than them does that give you like a, a confidence boost or do you feel more like you need to help them um for me i just I want to see people succeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you wouldn't have started your, your podcast if that wasn't the case. Yeah. And I think, so like when I see somebody, um, I just ask them what they need. Like if I'm going to know them and get to know them mm-hmm. and how can I help? Um, yeah. Like I think for me, it doesn't necessarily give me a confidence boost, but it's something I wanted to see a decade ago. So, like, I had this conversation a lot with my doctors. I was like, can I talk to somebody who has bipolar? Oh, nope. Okay. Can I talk to somebody who has PTSD? Nope. Can I talk to somebody with dependent personality disorder? And the answer to all of those was no. 
Um, cause then the U S there's a law called HIPAA, which is, uh, forgetting what the acronym stands for, but it's a patient privacy. Yeah. Um, which they can't give you the information of other. Exactly. Like yeah. you can't get that info. And I think that's a great thing. Um, but yeah, I feel there's a lot of camaraderie of like, Oh, you have bipolar, I have bipolar, um, or even, People have not same diagnoses, but yeah, I have a mental illness, you have a mental illness. Um, so yeah, when I like when I've had it worse, not really a competition, and when I'm doing better, not a competition either. Just a hey, I've been where you're at. <laughs> like ninety five percent of the time I've been where that person's at, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. And ninety five percent of their time they've been where I've been. So um I think it's how do we be brothers and sisters? Cause we're, everybody's doing a hard battle. <laughs> yeah. It's not absolutely. easy. And yeah. So I think that's where that comes from. Um, wanting to be an encouragement, be a help if I can be a help and just have things be chill, I guess be okay. Yeah. And like I said, I want to see people succeed. So I hope that people can succeed. And if I can in any way be a part of that, cool. If not, cool too but yeah just really hoping people succeed is what i go for i guess well that's that's a noble cause (laughs) i'm uh this might be a little redundant but have have you seen any results in your work have you what any growth with you or with the people you've had on or with with your the community you've you've built yeah so um i have i so it's since it's a 501c3, which in the U.S. is a tax-exempt organization, um, I have a board, and I report to my board. Um, but when I founded it, and we had our first board meeting in April of last year, and we're starting things going from an organizational perspective, I had said to them, and like it's in what I wrote out, I was like, if I could change one person's life. Don't know if I will, but that's why I'm doing it. I'm hoping it will. Mm-hmm. Um and I've had in person two people tell me it's changed their life, um, which I cried both times. Happy <laughs> well, that must feel good, like, right? It's crazy to think to me to like my small podcast and organization that's trying to do some other stuff too is like making a difference. Yeah. Um, and I had a friend of mine come up and talk to me, and he's like, "Hey, I listened to this episode, and it's changed the way I'm talking to my doctors or my daughters about sadness." They're four years and six years old. He's like, because I just want them to know it's okay to be sad. And I'm like, yes, please do. Like, change that generational conversation. Oh, yeah. Like, like I opened up, right? At the beginning. I learned that my family has a history of mental illness by being in an ICU bed. That Like, so, that can't be a good way to find out. It's like, not sustainable. No. <laughs> like, just that, that's just them... Not not trying to insinuate anything about your family, but to sit there and be like, well, maybe we'll just take our chances and like maybe this bomb won't explode. And if it does, we'll handle it then. And I think that was kind of it. Like there's so much shame. There's so much shame in the U.S. around mental health. Um, and I, my parents fell into that. Yeah. Where, no, you can't be mentally ill. You can't have mental health conditions. That's shameful. Um, and in reality, it's in the U.S., 20% of people, one in five people have a diagnosable 
oh yeah treatable mental health and so it's not an insignificant amount of folks like an interesting like statistic between canada and america that kind of shows that is canada on paper has a higher mental illness rate than the usa however the usa has a higher suicide rate and that definitely comes from it's not that there's less people in the u.s who don't have a mental illness it's just there's less people reporting it there's less people talking about it there's less people on paper doing something about it oh yeah And like, whereas, you know, in Canada, it's, it's a lot more open. Like there's not as much judgment on it as from what I've seen, there's more of judgment on how to handle it than actually having it. Like I've more arguments that I've seen personally about mental illness is about treatment. It's never really about whether or not it, it or not. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I definitely think that like, because a lot of people are at least willing to talk about it more, a lot more people are willing to talk to their doctors about it more. And like that's why, at least on paper, it shows that the can- Canada has more mental illness than the USA. But I like if you were to ask me, I'd say it's probably the same. I would well, think maybe it's probably similar. Like it might be a little higher, um, just due to population, uh, population and isolation and cold weather can have been proven to contribute to <laughs> depression. Oh yeah. Well, I'm from uh, I'm from the north, man. I, I've I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's like Canada is much further north and gets a lot more snow, so uh, it's more isolated and colder. So, <laughs> oh yeah, especially like I'm I'm from a small town myself too, and like like I know it does go hand in hand, but like where I'm from, like there is there's a massive like drug abuse problem, like. It, it is everywhere in my hometown. Like I've seen it. Like I've, I think as early as I think grade seven, I saw my peers getting into, into drugs, like hard drugs, like pills and stuff. Oof. Yeah. Like, like again, I've lost a couple friends, like both physically and like metaphorically, like people that I had to cut out of my life and people who had to make a quick exit out of my life. Yeah. And like, I, at least then I never really considered it was the fact of like our surroundings. I just thought it was like, well, like they're just dumb. Like, but like that, that's the mind of a child. Right. And like, as you grow, you have to broaden your own horizons and you have to find information and you have to base your opinion off of what you know. Right. And when you're young, you don't know, but as you get older, like I think it becomes more of a responsibility to learn more. I would agree with that. <laughs> we have the ability to understand a lot more as adults so i think striving to understand um i think one of the biggest impacts for me about dealing with other folks growing up was realizing everybody's going through their own shit yeah <laughs> like yeah i have my stuff and my story's hard but their story can be hard too so, oops, they cut me off today. So what? Or they were rude or they did X, Y, Z. Looking at it from their story. Well, what's going on? Do yeah. they have a sick kid at home that they're trying to get back to? And that's why they cut me in line and they're trying to. It, I don't know. Right. So, yeah, trying to understand <laughs> like why we can we can learn. Um, most people will talk to you about it if you're like, hey, why'd you do that? 
<laughs> yeah. What was going on? Um, and like that mindset can apply in almost anywhere, anywhere that you can, you can apply that logic in terms of religion, in terms of politics, in terms, in terms of health, like any, like name a thing that logic applies. Oh yeah. Very true. Yeah. And uh, how do you feel about, I'm just going to, because at least in my life, I hear this get brought up a lot. Like, do you feel like marijuana has benefits to mental illness or do you feel like it's more of a hazard? I think that is one to talk to your doctor about. Yeah. Um, because I think it can be both. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, um, I've seen it genuinely help people and I've seen it like tear some people down. Well, and I think that's the thing. It can help and it can hinder. Um, yeah. It's definitely one to like go into with your eyes open and talk to your treatment team. Because um, in the U.S., from Colorado, medical marijuana is legal. I know Canada just legalized it <laughs> yeah. um, countrywide. So I think it's a talk to your doctor about it because it does have like um, can have some very large positives met some people with anxiety where um, anti-anxiety pills didn't really help when they were having a panic attack but if they use a little bit of marijuana they can resolve their panic attack yeah but that was they determined that with their doctor right yeah which a lot of people don't do that yeah yeah um i'm a professional in a few things and when something's out of my wheelhouse, I go talk to people because people come to talk to me. I'm like, wait, yeah, I could, I'm a professional software engineer, right? So I know how to do that stuff. But I couldn't build a plane, so I wouldn't try to build a plane <laughs> if I needed one. <laughs> I would talk to an aerospace engineer and be like, hey, I need a plane. What do you do uh, with that with uh, software design? Did you say software design? Or engineer. engineer. Engineer? What does that entail? Um, currently, my position is I am a Tier 3 support engineer. So um, I deal with Tier 3 tickets. So they've gone through generally two other people before it gets to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and do emergency bug fix development. Emergency bug fix? Like for computers and whatnot? Yeah, like- for the software. So say something's installed and it, if it's an EBF, something's installed in production, um, getting used, and they come up on something and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. For instance, this happened with one of our clients. Um, they upgraded their systems to our most recent release, and they couldn't open 130,000 documents anymore. Oh my, that that would be scary. That would... yeah. And they're like, hey, well, we need to open these documents. We're like, yep, that makes sense. Um, (laughs) They're not there for decoration. (laughs) Exactly. So that was one of the, oh, okay, well, we got to fix that. What happened? What went wrong? So the support stuff for me was figuring out what happened, what went wrong. Is it our software? Is it their stuff? Turned out, no, it was our software. We we messed up. Um, So then I developed a fix for that. So. So that's the thing, like dealing with the tier three support tickets where people log that issue. For instance, that client logged the issue, can't open 130,000 documents. Oh, 
<laughs> okay. Um, so then figuring out what happened, which was we got rid of a code path that we thought wasn't needed. Turns out it was. Um, and then designing and fixing a solution for them. But a lot of the tickets that come in provide a workaround instead of developing a solution. Yeah. In that case, there was no workaround. <laughs> so that's why they got an emergency bug fix because it's an emergency. Yeah, uh, especially like depending on the company, like those files could be oh, yeah. like life or death. <laughs> <laughs> and in this case, like thankfully they weren't. Um, but we do do government software and occasionally like it could be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but yeah, getting somebody in because an EBF is when no workaround exists or the workaround is onerous to a fault. So mm -hmm. something like can't even remember what it was, but used to be able to do something. You upgrade, they upgraded the the client upgraded. You could no longer do it, but you could spend like twenty minutes and do it. But it used to take a click. So we got an emergency bug fix for them because it was like, well, went from being one click to taking 20 minutes. It's not not great. <laughs> yeah, and kind of steering the conversation in a different way. We got about 15 minutes left on the podcast. Just like, what, what do you do in your free time? Like when you're not doing the, the coding yeah. or the heavy stuff? <laughs> Fair. Um, also, did you want to do the ad read or did you? Oh, I'll, I'll add that in post. I'll okay, that works. Cool. Um, yeah, so what do I do in my spare time? Um, I am a huge nerd. <laughs> oh, thank God. In, in what terms? Are you like a like a manga uh, anime or like a comic book kind of uh, kind of guy? Neither. Fantasy D and D, I guess, okay. is probably the best way I can describe it. Oh, yeah. I uh, I've, I briefly had a stint where I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was in college. Yeah, that, that that's about it. Like I I played it for like a good four months of my life. It was very enjoyable. Like I, I loved it. Why not get back into it? Uh, I've been some of my friends actually here where I'm currently living. We've been talking about it. We've been like playing around with the idea for a couple months now. Haven't really gotten into it. We, there's only one of us that actually knows what they're doing. So like they have to like make the campaign. Well, in that case, then pull up the D and D starter kit. It's all for you. It's all to yeah. get you going. Um, yeah, so like D&D &D Fantasy, like right now on my coffee table, I have the first four books of the Wheel of Time series, because I'm rereading that. Oh my. Um, which is Robert Jordan's series finished by Brandon Sanderson. It just got picked up uh, to be a web series. Oh, that's or a cool. TV series. So it's like, well, before that happens, I should at least <laughs> brush up on it material. so you can see the Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I play board games all across the spectrum like i have one game that's like an eight minute round um and i have another game that's like a three hour playthrough <laughs> oh yeah like uh again i know that there's different ways to play D what what i played was like a super long camp like we played for like three or four months and it was all the same campaign like it was nice. one of those super long extended ones I, I don't know the terminology that well i was just there for the ride fair <laughs> um, yeah, it, that's also like, yeah, D&D. Um, I play in campaigns occasionally. Um, just competition. I like friendly competition. Yeah. I don't really like it when there's stuff on the line, but when it's like, who won this game? <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, because uh, like I definitely played with an interesting mix of people. Like when you play D&D, &D, typically, like are you, 
are you in it or you're just like there to like shit disturb and like just try to make it like the funniest <laughs> game possible or are you just are you like playing it for serious i play it as my character like i tend to role play i really yeah. like the role playing aspect of it so um and i've had characters from the hulking orc who's not very intelligent but is really witty and charismatic yeah um so like playing him was a lot of fun where like everybody liked him but also they're like man he's not that bright yeah uh, <laughs> but i played with a guy who had a character like that he had like an orc orc or an ogre or like one of the buffoonish characters and yeah. like his language skills were super low but he made um uh his not his politics but like his his charisma like he put all his stats in like charisma and like getting people to like him and like he had like zero language skills like i think the whole joke was like he only knew how to say his own name but like <laughs> but like he could like talk to dragons and stuff by only saying his own name <laughs> that's awesome yeah um yeah so like playing like that uh my first ever dnd character was a rogue who was hyper intelligent but really unwise like i think i had a negative two or a negative three to wisdom <laughs> and so um during that campaign we were in the capital city and there was a really cool jeweled dagger and i knew i had the skills to steal it and again my guy's really unwise so he's like i'm gonna steal it so he managed to successfully steal the dagger <laughs> and get my friends arrested but i got away that's funny um so then i had to get them out of prison yeah i so think stuff like, like that like, i think like the only silliest thing i ever did was uh one of my one of my friends he was playing as uh the class there where you can transform into animals okay uh, druid yeah a druid yeah he he turned himself into a snake and then like i rolled like a nat one in strength and i accidentally like threw him into a zombie horde because like i was trying to throw the snake over a clearing and then i rolled a nat one and it just yeah i, I basically killed him <laughs> And like the thing, I like I I asked to do it too without even consulting him. I was just like, I throw the snake, and he was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "I throw the snake across the cavern." Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think that's one of the things I love about D anD. d You can take it so many directions. Um, I like role playing, so whatever my character stats are, actually going with that. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, like my most like actually making decisions based on your stats instead of like genuinely just trying to gamble it and doing what you want yeah like trying to make decisions on sets and what would my character actually do and try to like act it out and figure it out and um yeah like my most recent person is a spy character who's just very quiet and behind the scenes um but like i've got something worked out with the dm where like occasionally i just get money um <laughs> and like my the, everybody else is like, why? What? What just happened? Penny stocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I run a spy ring in an intelligence service. Kind That's of funny. I played. I played. I think like a fourteen-year-old like battle master or something like that. So like, <laughs> I played like this super like ready to fight, but like naively young kind of character. So like I could just. So I was able to like just make like stupid snap decisions. Nice. Like throw the snake. <laughs> throw a snake ah. yeah <laughs> yeah like, and i love stuff like that it's just it adds a lot of fun it adds variety um and taking D, &D too seriously to me just makes it unfun there was one person in our party who took it very seriously 
to the point where like i think she had to like remove herself for a little bit so she could calm down oh no <laughs> yeah because yeah because yeah, she was the i think she was like the only um uh good leaning person and everyone else was either like neutral or evil so like her oh. vote for anything never counted and it stressed her out fair yeah i i'm there to have fun when i'm playing D. yeah like um games i play to have fun like winning is secondary so like i won't i won't handicap myself and like play unintelligently but my goal with the game is fun and then winning yeah <laughs> like winning is not first <laughs> so i didn't even know you could like win D D. like I, I thought it was just like a campaign that never ended and you just basically play this unending story well and i think D D, there's not necessarily a win per se but you can definitely lose though if everyone dies oh you can lose but like i've played D D in the past with people who just min maxed which is like stat packing and well if i hit this way and this way and do these next 40 moves then xyz happens and for me i'm just like what would be fun right now yeah like that that sounds like a headache <laughs> like unless i don't know like is there like a professional like D D like league like is there like um, there's, what are they, I think they're called adventure leagues. They're not professional, but they're, they go around to gaming conventions mm -hmm. and set tables up. And if you are part of them, you can bring your own character sheet and play. Oh, that's um, cool. And so like you're with a different cast of characters, but going through that. So I think that'd be as close to a professional D and D yeah because like besides like unless like people can actually pay or like get like win money or like actual tournaments or like actual competitions like i don't see the point of like taking it to that level of seriousness like unless you're in like some kind of like if unless it's like a profession yeah and i think that's the thing for me like it's definitely just for fun mm -hmm. um a couple of my friends who i play with currently like do min max but it's just they've been playing for so long it's they don't think about it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, if you don't have to think about it, sure. Yeah, but if you gotta like bust out a notebook and like strategize and <laughs> write all these notes. Oh yeah. Um But because they know things well, we did a one shot, which was fun. Um, which I guess you can win those. Because you either succeed in the one shot or you die in the one shot. Yeah. Um but because they knew what they could do. Like when we got to the end where we, well, not the end, but halfway point where we needed to get intelligence and stop this caster in the middle of a defended camp. They both realized that the camp was, or that the tower was wooden and that if they both cast a certain spell, they would destroy the tower and the caster would fall 60 feet. Mm-hmm. And so they did that, and the caster died, and we stopped the caster, and we didn't have to face any other enemies. <laughs> speed running for D and D. Yeah, and the DMs <laughs> looking at us like, "Well, that worked." Um, <laughs> That's funny. We achieved our goal. It was supposed to be a huge battle, and it ended up just being, "Ah, we sneak in." 
we cast this. We sneak out. Bye. <laughs> so it, oh. it can be fun. All right. Well, I think I'm going to end the episode here. Perfect. I'm up. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Keaton, for coming on. Um, if anyone listening is interested in listening to Keaton's podcast, it is called You Don't Fight Alone, and I will leave it in the description down below. Um, uh, yeah, thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we'll see you later.